Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. So today's message is really, really two messages in one with two, two parts. And the first part is, is what are the times we're living in? And in the first part of this message, we're going to look at a lot of statistics, uh, a lot of numbers, just to get a, an accurate view of the landscape around us in our, in our world. And the second part of this message will hopefully be to, to motivate you. And lot of the times we're living in, what type of people, what kind of people ought we ought we to be. So the first part, I want to just, just tee it up by, by looking at this passage. It's really become a prayer of mine uh, for, for the leaders in the church, for, for elders, for pastors, for, for myself, for, for national government leaders. And it's found in 2 Chronicles chapter 12. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 12 is where, where David's taking over the kingdom of Israel. And there's different tribes that are bringing different things to this, this new regime. And, and this tribe brought these, these spears. They're trained in spears. They're, they're ready for battle. This tribe, they, they brought, they're trained with the bow. And this tribe did this, and this tribe did that. And in, in 2 Chronicles 12, 32, it says there's a tribe of Issachar. And here's what they brought to the table. They, they brought wisdom. They understood the times and knew what Israel should do. This is a good prayer for leaders today. This is a good prayer for, for your church, for, for the kingdom, uh, for, for, for elders, for, for people around us. God, help us to discern the times we're living in and know what we should do. And my hope is that this will be true, true of us. And this is why this is, this is so important because the vision you have for your life is irrelevant if you don't understand the times or the season that you're living in. You can have a, a clear vision, but maybe the wrong vision if we don't discern the times. And so here's the question I want to ask you and invite you to ask yourself, and that's this. Am I living and leading in a way that matches the season we're living in? Are you living in a way that matches the season we're living in? The Bible has a lot to say about, about seasons. It has a lot to say about end times. And matter of fact, Jesus said this about what's going to take place before his return. The Bible talks about what's taking place before Jesus' return, what will take place after his return. But, but here's what I want to talk about, just the season that, that we're in and, and try to discern what, where are we at in this process. Matthew uh, chapter 24, Jesus said this. He says, when it comes to the end times, uh, there's going to be an increase of wickedness. And because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Now, this is shocking to me. It doesn't say the love of, of some will grow cold. It says the love of most. In other words, there's going to be such an appeal, such a lure to, to evil things, things that, that are not of eternal value, that, that the love of people, love of the church will grow cold. We'll be so focused on temporary things that we lose sight of eternal perspective. This is going to take place in the, the end times. There's going to be an increase of wickedness. The love of most will grow cold. 13, but, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Then check this out, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. During the end times, we'll see two main shifts in culture. Two main shifts in culture. The first shift is an increase in wickedness. Now, I don't need to unpack a whole lot of depressing statistics to, to, to paint a picture for this because we all, we all see this in our day, right? There's clearly an increase in 
wickedness. The, the Federal Bureau of Investigation came out with a report, I read an article recently, that not only is the U.S. leading the way in technology and science advancements, but, but the U.S. is also leading the way in crime, in criminal activity, in violence and delinquency. Uh, U.S. News and World Report right, wrote an article that said that just as crime is increasing in the U.S., so across the globe, we're seeing an uptick in criminal activity. There's a, a clear increase in wickedness in our, in our day, and, and Jesus said these are signs, these are, are indicators that the end is, is near. And, and so don't be surprised when we see an increase in wickedness. Don't be surprised when we see, see the world around us in moral decay. We, we knew this was going to happen. These are just signs of the end. So the question in light of the season that we're, we're living in, is my life matching that that season. The second thing that Jesus said is that, that there's going to be an increase in the advancement of the gospel. The gospel is going to advance at an alarming rate. And I, I would just say, take heart, church, because we are in a harvest generation. There is an exponential increase in the gospel advancement in our day and age. We are living in a harvest generation. According to a recent report by Gordon Conwell University, in 1970, there were 1.2 billion Christians, 1.2. In the year 2020, there were 2.6 billion Christians. So more people have come to Christ in the past 50 years than in the previous 1,970 years. There's a clear increase in the advancement of the gospel. It's a harvest generation we're living in. In the 900 and, or the 193 sovereign nations in the world, the church is growing faster than population in 176 of them. There are 17 that are not experiencing rapid growth and five that are in decline, and then 12 that what's, what this report defined as, as, as stasis, or, or there's five that are motionless. They're just kind of stagnant. And unfortunately, the U.S., America, is one of the 12 countries where the gospel's not in decline, but the gospel's not growing at rapid speed. And so we're currently in this, this state of stasis. We're, we're kind of emotionless in the, the area of growth, which is very unfortunate for us. But according to an article, different article I found in, in World Bank, uh, because of the church, we see an impact in the world around us. Check this out. Every place the gospel advances, we see people coming out of extreme poverty. In other words, where the church is flourishing, the communities flourish. Where, where the church is growing, communities experience blessing. Check this out. In 1990, 52% of the world was considered to be in extreme poverty. In 2017, only 16% of the world was in extreme poverty. Currently, in 2022, only 9.2% of the world is in extreme poverty. And so almost 100% of the decline. So for, for these, this is an amazing trend, but for, for almost 90% of those remaining in extreme poverty, that they exist in parts of the world where there is no gospel representation, there is no churches, there, there is no, no Bibles. And so 90% of this 9% is in unreached areas. So in other words, where the gospel advances 
extreme poverty diminishes. Isn't it nice to know that, that, that God not only transforms lives, but in doing so, as you and I experience the transformation work of Christ, our communities are transformed. And this is what we're seeing on a global, global scale. According to onechallenge.org, in 1885, there was only one church planning movement in the Muslim world. In 1980 to 2000, there were 11 church planning movements in the Muslim world. In 2000 to 2012, there were 69 church planning movements in the Muslim world. And in the past 10 years, there have been exponentially more and more and more church planning movements taking place in the Muslim world. And we're seeing conversions to, to Christianity from, from intense Islamic activity in these regions. One of the, the two missionaries that, that we just brought on board uh, this year that I'm super excited about, and you've probably, you've been around since, you've probably heard us talk about a little bit. Uh, one is a guy by the name of, of Shalom. And uh, we, we've blocked out his actual name and his face because he is, his life is literally being threatened. His family is threatened on a regular basis. If people, extreme Islamists found out who he was, was, they would execute him without a doubt. But, but Shalom serves in the Horn of Africa. And if you're with us in August, uh, Shalom and his family are actually here uh, at the central campus. And we got to hear a little bit uh, of what God is doing through Shalom and through uh, the, the ministry there. And, and people are coming to Christ at a rapid, rapid speed. But, but throughout the region in 2020 alone, more than 14,000 people came to Christ. Half of them were from Muslim backgrounds. A total of 6,388 people were baptized in 2020 and 1,992 local churches were planted. And isn't it nice to know that we get to invest our kingdom resources into kingdom works like this that are producing exponential ROIs. I mean, the gospel is advancing at an alarming rate. This is a harvest generation. I'm super excited about another missionary that we just brought on named uh, Ali, um, or Isla rather. Uh, Isla, he, he serves in East Africa. And, uh, and this is actually who we're going to be focusing 50% of our, our Give Hope funds towards. So, so whenever it comes to Give Hope, uh, we're, we're focused on two different initiatives, a global initiative and a local initiative. Both of those initiatives are targeting two global giants, one global giants being positive Poverty, another global giant being uh, spiritual emptiness. And, and Isla, where he's serving in, in Kenya, is experiencing a severe, severe famine. Uh, lives are being lost because there's, there's extreme drought and therefore there's no food. And so families are being displaced. And the tragedy of that is the church is being displaced. The, the church is being scattered. Families are literally being torn apart. Children are being most impacted uh, by this. And Isla, what he does, he leaves a disciple-making movement. And, and every, he leads these, these, this region everywhere from the Sudan all the way to, to the Congo. And, uh, and then the, currently they're in a state of, of crisis. But throughout uh, Isla's ministry in East Africa, the region has seen 7,122 churches planted in the last 14 years alone, reaching over 130,000 people, winning 130,000 people to Christ. I mean, you talk about a harvest generation. It's taking place today, friends. 
But currently, in the midst of the famine, like I said, the fabric of community and the church is literally being broken down. And this could uh, cause a severe blockage to the momentum that the church is experiencing there in the midst of extreme hunger as people are are turning to um, famine camps and migrating to areas where they can have food and try to try to survive. And so, so what Isla's asked is, 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 would we be able to come alongside them? The goal, the big goal is to, 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 to uh, fund $120,000 to help them so they can continue to provide uh, tangible needs so people uh, don't starve to death. But in the midst of that, what Isla's heart is, is for them to ultimately know God. And so Isla believes out of the $120,000 that, that will be donated to, to help with the famine in, in Africa, that 120 churches will be planted. And out of those 120 churches, we're believing for 3,600 new believers to come to Christ. And this is what we get to partner with through our Give Hope initiative uh, this year. And I don't know about you, but I'm super, super excited for that and and believe in God to, to help us to do that. And as always, I'm not asking you to give anything whenever it comes to Give Hope. I mean, there is extreme needs. There is literally tens of thousands of dollars that are needed in the church around the globe, globally as well as as locally. But I'm not asking you to give anything. All I'm asking you to do is ask God. Ask God what he might want you to do with his Give Hope initiative. And I would just invite you, encourage you, respond in obedience to whatever God asks you to do because there are extreme needs, but the gospel is advancing at an alarming alarming rate. And so so here's the question. In this season that we're in, are these the last days? Is Jesus' return imminent? I would just ask, is there an increase in wickedness? I think the answer is yes. Is the gospel advancing at a rapid pace? I think the answer is inevitably yes. And I would just say these are signs of the time. These are signs of, of what we're, we're living in. And, and there's a lot more uh, realities and signs we could look at, but for the sake of time, we're gonna just keep moving. But, but I say all that to say this. I don't know if you've ever seen a pregnant woman uh, my wife, when she was pregnant, uh, she, she was tough. Uh, she, thankfully, she wasn't bedridden. For, for all of our kids, we traveled like with, with, with Cannon. We went on a missions trip to Thailand while she was pregnant. But she wasn't like in the ninth month, right? Like she was fairly early on in the pregnancy. But have you ever seen a woman that, that's pregnant, like nine months pregnant, like there are clear signs of the time. Like, lady, you're about to pop, right? Like there's evidence of it. And I would just say our current signs, what we're seeing in the world is that, 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 that we're, we're pregnant with potential for the return of Christ at any, any time. And, and some of you may agree with that. Some of you may not agree with that. But I think we can all agree on this. Regardless if these are our last days, I think we would agree that these are our only days. Regardless if the end is near, I think these are the only days that we have. Listen, you only get one Christmas, 2022. You only get one shot at this thing. Whether or not these are the end days, I think we would agree these are our only days. And so in light of that reality, what type of people are we to be? And I think I would just ask you this. If you knew Jesus was returning next week, you knew Jesus was coming back next week, you got one week left. Is there anything in your life that you would hope to get rid of before Jesus return? Is there any activity that you would hope to participate in in light of eternity? And whatever that is, if anything comes to mind, I would encourage you 
to do that thing. And I don't think I need to point out what those things are. I, I just I invite you to ask God, Holy Spirit, is there anything in my life that's displeasing to you? Anything in my life that you want me to take action on before you return? Whatever that is, Holy Spirit, would you just speak to me? And I just believe God would speak to you about that. Here's the first passage I want to spend some time looking at in light of the times we're living in. And that's 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 through 12. And it says this, but, but in the day, that, but the day of the Lord, it's gonna come like a thief. In other words, you're not gonna know when it's coming. The, the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed with fire. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, here's the question, what kind of people ought you to be? In light of, of what God's doing, in light of the signs of the times, what type of people ought we, ought we to be? And this is where I want to focus our time. And here's what Peter says. He says, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. To our question, are you living? Am I living? Am I leading in a way that matches the times? Well, Peter gives us a little bit of a gauge to measure ourselves against. How are we doing in these areas? Peter gives us three actions that we must take in these, this unique season that we're living in. Here's the first. Now I just ask, how are you doing in this? The, the first thing that Peter lays out, he says, we must live holy. We must live godly lives. 2 Peter 3, 11, what type of people ought you to be? Well, we ought to live holy and godly lives. And I think this is just a topic that maybe we don't wrestle with enough in our culture. It's not, not a matter of how far can I go that, that's, that, that, that before, I, before it's too far. It's, it's more of like, whoa, 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 God, how do I represent you well? You invite me to live a holy and godly life. In our culture, maybe we should just wrestle with this a little more. If you're living a life today that you'd, you wouldn't be proud of if you just returned tomorrow, then I would just invite you to, to consider those areas of your life and take action accordingly. First thing he says, we must live holy and godly life. Second thing he says, we must look forward to the day of God. That's 2 Peter 3, 11 through 12. So what, what type of people ought you to be? Well, we ought to be people who look forward to the day of God. In other words, uh, the God's return is not, not something that we fear. It's something we look forward to. Jesus said this in Luke 21, he says, says, when these things happen, uh, these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. When you see these signs in the world around us, don't, 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 don't be afraid, don't cower away, but stand up, lift up your head. Like, like I, I'm looking, I, I can't wait for your return, Jesus. I'm, I'm anticipating it. I see the signs and, and God, I can't wait for you to come and get me. I'm excited. If you know Jesus, it's not a horror story. It's a love story. Jesus is coming to get us to be with him for all of eternity. You know, throughout the Bible, the Bible uses this imagery of Jesus' return as like this wedding feast, this wedding, wedding banquet. It's this, this wedding day. And, and I remember, man, I remember my wedding. I remember when Tiffany and I got married. I remember what led up to that. I remember all the, the pre preparation and Tiffany and her, her mom and, and the, the girls, they spent a lot of time planning and preparing for the wedding. They, they, were, they were invested in this. We invited people to come alongside and help. And hey, you got the flowers. And hey, you're in charge of dessert. Hey, you got this. And, and there was a, it was a group activity. I remember our wedding. Man, there was a lot of money invested into that day to throw a celebration that was fit for the occasion. 
And I would just say this, there was not a moment of dread, but there was always anticipation. And I remember when our wedding day finally came, all the preparation, it was about to be celebrated, it was about to be unleashed. And, and I remember when I first saw Tiffany, she walked into that church sanctuary. We, 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 we took pictures before our wedding. We got to see each other before the ceremony. I know that's a little bit un, unconventional, but, but I, I can still see it in my mind's eye. Those, those doors opened to the sanctuary and this song started to play. At last, I saw my bride and man, I was so excited to see her. And I would just say, if you're a follower of Jesus, we long for his return in the same way. We look forward to his return. That, 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 that's what we're planning for. That's what we're, pre we're preparing for. That, that's what we're investing our money towards. We're, we're looking forward to his return. We're inviting all people to celebrate and be a part of this wedding celebration with Jesus. It's going to be an incredible celebration. So, so what type of people, like this season, what type of people would you be? Peter says, man, we should live holy and godly lives. We don't dread his return. We look forward to his return. And then third, we participate in speeding his return. We participate in speeding his return. Look at it with me in, in 2 Peter uh, 3, 11 through 12. He says, what type of people ought you to be? Well, we ought to be people that, that speed its coming, to speed the return of Christ. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but you get to play a part in Jesus' return. You get to play a part in speeding the return of of Christ. Did you, get, did you know that? Did you know, did you know you get to play a role in this? Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14. He says, and the good news of the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. And then the end will come. With the rapid advancement in technology, missiologists and, and Bible translators are now predicting that by the year 2030, there will be a Bible, a, a copy of the Bible in every language on earth. Every nation will hear and then the end will come. I'm just saying ours is the generation where we get to usher in the return of Christ. I, I believe it, like the signs are everywhere. And I imagine Jesus like on the edge of his throne every day, like, dad, it's today the day. Can I go get him? Can I go get the bride? Dad, can I go get him and bring him here? Like, and I think, I think the Bible's like, yeah, son, the time's right. But maybe just one more. Let's just wait for one more. I see, I see them praying for that one friend. Let's just give him time for one more. And maybe it's, it's some girl that maybe you've never met in Kenya that will be in heaven because you gave and she'll be the one that God's waiting for, then the end will come. Maybe it's your friend that you've been praying for, you've been investing, you've been inviting them to church. Maybe when the day they commit their lives to Jesus, maybe that's the one more God's waiting for. But here's what, what 2 Peter 3, 9 says. He says, says, the Lord's not slow in keeping his promise as some people understand slowness. He's patient with you not wanting anyone to perish. You don't want anyone to go to hell, but, but, but he wants everyone to come to repentance, to turn from our selfish ways, turn to God and experience the abundant life God has for them, to, to enter into a relationship with him, to come under God's authority and experience the good life that he has for them. He's just, he's, way, he's patient, wanting everyone to, to know him. Maybe it's your one friend, but you and I, we get to speed his coming by helping people find and follow Jesus. Just one more. 
Luke 19.6 says this, use worldly wealth. This, this, this passage used to baffle me, but, but here's what I think it means. Here, here's what it says. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. I think this passage, there's a recognition that we're stewards of everything God has entrusted to us. Like it's, it's, he's entrusted it to us. Uh, there's also recognition in this passage that you and I, as we use worldly wealth, it has eternal ramifications. There, there's an understanding in this, this passage that when you and I, when we give hope, when we give, give an offering above and beyond our tithe and offering, it's an understanding that there's going to be people, because you gave last year to, to the, the missions work in Tanzania, there's going to be people in heaven who are reached along the, the, the coast of, of that, that lake that would have never heard the gospel unless you gave. There's going to be people in heaven because, you're, because you gave. And when you get to heaven, they're going to be there. You might not know them now, but they're going to be there welcoming you into eternal dwellings, using worldly wealth for eternal good. When you give to, to the famine in Kenya, when, when churches are planted, when people begin to find and follow Jesus, you might not ever see them on this side of eternity. But when you get to heaven, they're gonna be there to welcome you into eternal dwellings. They're gonna say, I'm here because you gave. I know it wasn't easy. I know what was happening with the recession, everything going on the, the stock market, but, but you leaned in, you gave sacrificially and because you gave, because you used worldly wealth, I'm here, welcome to your eternal dwelling. I think that's what it's teaching us to use our wealth for kingdom good. We get to speed his return. Now I want to give you three, three motivations. So that, that, that's the signs of the time. Here's what we're living in. I think it's, it's ripe with opportunity. Now I want to give you three motivations for living and giving on mission. In light of the times, what type of people are we to be? Well, we've talked about that. Now here's the motivation to live that out. Uh, Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said this. This is our, our second key passage for today. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus gives us three motives Three motivations for missions living and missions giving. And the first motivation is Jesus has all authority. Jesus has all authority. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came to them and here's what he said. He says, all authority, not just some, but all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Listen, whenever we recognize Jesus has all authority, he has authority over our life. He has authority over our world. He has authority over our finances. He has authority over the powers of darkness. He has authority over the natural uh, occurrences here on earth. He has all authority. All authority is his. When we realize that, we live life that says, God, you have all authority. So God, I give you my life. I'm coming under your authority. God, I give you my finances. I'm coming under your authority. God, I give you my family. You have all authority. And God, I just, I just submit to your authority. It's a motivation for missions living, for missions giving, realizing that it's all his. We're, we just get entrusted to steward it well. It was John Bonnell who, who said this. He says, if one first gives himself to the Lord, 
All other giving is easy. If one first gives himself to the Lord, all other giving is easy. So it begs the question, if, if I'm struggling in my area of generosity, have I really given myself fully to the Lord? If I give myself first, realize that God, you've given me everything, so God, here's my life. Then everything else he asks for is easy because God, I've already surrendered my life to you. So whatever you ask for, my answer is already yes. It frees us up to live a life of generosity. It frees us up to live life on mission because God, we've submitted our lives to you and we realize, God, you, you own it all. And so you provide it all. And so God, if you're asking me to give, I'm, I'm, I'm believing you're gonna take care of these other things in my life. And that's what Jesus said in Matthew 6, He says, but seek first, not last. So some people live with the mindset of, I'm gonna I'm I'm take care of myself first. I gotta pay my bills. I gotta pay my taxes. I gotta, I gotta invest in my retirement. I'm gonna put myself first. And then whatever's left, then I, I'll give a little bit to God, whatever's left over. But Jesus invites us to, to turn that on its head and to, to put him first. That's the whole idea of the tithe. It's, it's the first, the first 10%, it belongs to the Lord. And when we give off the top, then he says, says I'm gonna open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, you can't even contain it. That's Malachi 3. But here's what he says in Matthew 6, but seek first, put me first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things will be added to you as well. Listen, God knows what you need. He wants to take care of your needs, but he's inviting us to put him put him first in our life. Here's a kingdom principle. Here's a kingdom principle that I hope all of us get, all of us grasp. God blesses what you place under his authority. God has all authority, but he's inviting us as free will creatures to come under his authority. And whatever we put under his authority, that's what he blesses. You want God to bless your life? Well, come under God's authority and say, God, what does your word say about how I should live my life? Whatever it says, God, I'm gonna do it because I'm under your authority. If you want God to bless your marriage, you search the scripture, say, God, what, is it, what do you say about how I should conduct myself in a marriage relationship? Okay, God, I understand it. Now I'm coming under your authority. I'm gonna live that out in my daily life. You want God to bless your finances. Well, God, what do you say about, about how I should steward my money? Okay, God, I, I got it. I'm coming under your authority. God, whatever you say, I'm going to come under your authority. And, and when you do, the Bible promises he'll bless you. But God can't bless what he can't have. And so if you want him to bless your life, you want him to bless your marriage, you want him to bless your career, come under his authority and watch how God shows up in ways that you never thought possible. Perhaps Jesus wants to remind us today that he has all authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And so from a position of loving authority, he calls us to leverage our lives to reach the lost, to use, use our life, use our, live on mission, live on, on mission giving for him. And how, how do we leverage our life to reach the lost? Well, when we go, Wherever we are, that's where we carry the gospel. Wherever we go, as we're going, we carry the good news. We, we go, we give, we pray. We go, we give, we pray. Listen, if we do these things, wherever we go, we carry the gospel. We give, we, we give through a, this lens of mission giving, knowing that we can use our worldly wealth to, to, to have a, a welcome party in heaven, that more people will come to Christ through our, through our giving. And we pray, God, rescue people. Saving people is something only you can do. God, would you do it? If we live out these three things, man, imagine the difference we would see in our family, in our community, 
in the church locally, in the church globally. We go, we give, we pray. First, we live and give on mission because Jesus has all authority. Second, we live and we give on mission because Jesus' heart is for all people. Jesus' heart, God's heart's for all, all people. Matthew 28, 19 says, therefore go and make disciples. As you're going, make disciples of all nations, everywhere you go. And here's what you do, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Who's God's heart for? All nations. Is his heart for San Jose? Yes. California? Yes. U.S.? Yes. North America? Yes. Africa? Yes. China? Yes. You name the country. His heart's for all nations everywhere. Therefore we go. Therefore we pray. Therefore... We give God's hearts for all people. Luke 19 and verse 10, Jesus speaking about himself. Here's his, his purpose statement. He says, the son of man, speaking of himself. He's like, here's why I came. I came to seek and to save the lost. Listen, if that's the heart of God, then may it be the heart of his church as well. Romans 10, 14 through 15 says this. How can they believe in him who they've never heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching? And how can they preach unless they are sent? Listen, to, to some degree, all of us are sent. We're all sent to go. Some of you are called to a classroom. Some of you are called to a boardroom. Some of you are called to an office. Some of you are called to a ball team. You're called to a, a parent pickup line. We're all called wherever we go. That's where we're called to reach people. As Michael mentioned last week, how do we love our neighbor? Who's our neighbor? Our neighbor is the person we see. Whoever we see, that's who we're called to. But some people have a unique call. They're called to go to different geographic regions. They're, they're called to go to a different country. Some people out of this room have been called to Tanzania, East Africa. Some people in this room have been called to, to go to Chile and, and have been called to go to Kurdistan. They're, they're called. And how, how can they hear the gospel unless they're sent? And how can they, they preach unless, unless, how can they hear unless someone preaches? How can they go unless they're, they're sent? And so, so there's a unique call on some people's life to go. And I, I think those, those missionaries have a unique call. They're called to go. But I think for all of us, we're, we're called to be missionaries. Some go wherever, wherever we are, some local missionaries. But all of us, I think here in the U.S., for sure, we're called to be missionaries of supply. We, we have the supply. We have resources that other people around the country don't have. And we're called to steward those resources for God's good, for kingdom good and God's Glory. How do we leverage our life in light of the times we're living in? We go, we give, we pray. We, we live and give on mission because Jesus has all authority. We, we give and we live on mission because God's heart's for all people. But we live and we give on mission knowing that Jesus' power will always go with you. Wherever you go, as you live on mission for him, Jesus' promise is that he will go with you. I love this in the English Standard Version, Matthew 28, 20, says, behold, behold. It's like in the Christmas story when the angels appear, it's, behold, I bring you good news of great joy. It's like, can you believe it? And Jesus says, and behold, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Behold, wherever you go, living on mission for me, I'll go with you to the very end of the age. This is the confidence we have as his kids that as we live on mission for him, he's, his presence, his power 
goes with us. In Matthew 28, 18, in closing, as we live under God's authority, we, we recognize Jesus has all authority because all authority's been given to him. It's our motivation for missions living and missions giving. We live to fulfill Jesus' mission, realizing that he's called us to go and make disciples. We, we know that we, 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 the heart of Jesus, we know his heart's for all people, and we also know the promise of Jesus, that, that he's going to be with us to the very ends of the age. God's promise to be with you doesn't mean, however, that he won't ask you to do difficult things. I would just submit to you that the Christian life is a call to courageous living. It's a call to step out of comfort zone. Sometimes it's a call to leave behind things that we cherish the most, sometimes family, sometimes security, so sometimes comfort and, and convenience of a Western culture living to go to another country or another geographic region to reach people. And maybe God won't call you to East Africa to serve him in the midst of a famine, but for some of you, he might. And whatever he asks you to do, just do it because he has all authority. His heart's for all people and his promises to be with you. One of my favorite missionary stories is from the 1700s as two young men in their 20s, uh, they experienced God's radical grace. They experienced God's rescuing power. And they wanted to share this message of God's grace with everyone, everywhere they went. And they heard of this, this plantation owner in West Indies who, who owned 3,000 slaves and he, he forced them to work in the sugarcane fields there. And this this British slave owner was an atheist. And he said, no, no preacher, no missionary will ever set foot on this island. If they're shipwrecked, they can stay in separate quarters until, until they get, get the supplies they need. Then they're going to ship out. But no one is going to bring the gospel here. I'm done with all that stuff. And these two men, these, the, these men in their 20s, talked to their families. They, they talked to their, their pastor and their church. And they said, hey, we feel a burden for these slaves. And we feel like, man, we're, we're called to go reach them because they need to hear the good news. And it's not right for that slave owner to, to, to keep them in isolation and isolated from the, the best news humanity's ever heard. And they reasoned with people and they said, well, hey, if you go to that island as a missionary, you'll be killed for sure. And they said, well, if we can't go as a missionary, then maybe we'll go as a slave. And these two men in their 20s, they sold themselves into slavery to go reach slaves in the West Indies. And as they boarded the boat, the church family, their, their immediate family was gathered there in the port. And as the ship, the tide began to pull them away into the sea, knowing that they'd never see their loved ones again, not knowing if they'd be able to survive once they got there. If they got found out as missionaries, they were going to be killed for sure. And so their parents, their, their loved ones, they questioned the wisdom of it. They said, is the sacrifice really necessary? But as the gap widened from port to the ship, these two men locked arms in a loud voice in unison, they cried out, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. And that declaration became the motivation for mission living for the Moravian movement. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. These two men who sold themselves into slavery reached thousands of people in the West Indies, not as missionaries, but as slaves among slaves, doing life together, living, understanding Jesus has all authority, realizing God's heart's for all people. And therefore, at whatever cost, we'll go because I know Jesus' power will be with us. How do we leverage our life in light of the times we're living in? We go, we give. 
we pray. And why do we go? Why do we give? Why do we pray? So the lamb that was slain may receive the reward of his suffering. Let's pray.